0: Bite of Courage is about ordinary people aspiring to live their best life by overcoming vulnerability and fear. It's about finding our courage and sharing our stories so we can be who we're truly meant to be and discovering in the process that we're a lot more similar than we are dissimilar. To listen, go to biteofcourage.com or your favorite podcast app. everyone. Welcome back to Bite of Courage. My guest today is Judy Langley. A former business executive, Judy was instrumental in creating product for brands like Banana Republic, Gap, and Kohl's for the last 35 years. She was also instrumental in leading design teams to success in both merchandising and sourcing product from initial concept to customer purchase. But after an illustrious 35-year career, Judy decided to leave it all behind a few months ago, along with her beloved home in New York to resettle in the Midwest, where she can be closer to her mom. Headed to India shortly to reunite with her husband, Gotham, she's here today to share some of her story, as well as some of her insights about courage and her 25-year marriage, which by many accounts had the odds stacked against it. Hi, Judy. Hi, Mo. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, nothing like retiring from a 35-year career, selling your home, moving cross-country, and not seeing your husband for a few months to reduce stress in your life, right? Exactly. I guess sometimes that's what it takes, though, doesn't it? Mm.
1: Finding the courage to risk everything in order to create more meaning in our lives. Yeah, the change has been dramatic, but like we'll talk about, every time I've been faced with a big leap. It's really worked out for me. So I have to just keep encouraging myself to keep taking those chances. And reinforcing that kind of thinking
0: so that you get used to doing it and it becomes more second nature, I suppose. It's a
1: practice.
0: Yeah. Well, we have a lot to talk about today, but before we start to unpack it all, I'd like to ask you what your definition of courage is.
1: I think for me, it's always been about transcending my natural fear. When I feel I'm at personal risk or facing the unknown and choosing love over fear to act.
0: To move forward.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And I'm guessing since you define it in part as choosing love to act and to move forward that you may not have always chosen love, that maybe you're defining it this way now because of the experiences and choices
1: you've made in the past. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I've been lucky and blessed in that the fear was early on momentary and the love kept nagging at me until I had to drop the fear and go with the love. Sometimes the fear slowed me down, but I don't think it ever completely shut out the best choices in my life because the love was always stronger. I really believe that. Which is amazing because- it's not always that way for
0: a lot of people. I mean, I can speak for myself. I got frozen in that fear for for years at a time. So, to acknowledge and to understand that you were able to move through that tells me that you probably had a great foundation of love and support in your life.
1: Well, it's true with marriage, I think. I was blessed in that both my husband and I were born into families where the love lasted. We saw marriages between flawed human beings that it wasn't always great. They would fight. They'd have periods of time where they weren't close or whatever, but they just stayed in it. And so that was a big advantage. We were both wired to see marriage that way. And a lot of people don't have that kind of start. And it's much harder to try to completely invent it yourself. So I acknowledge this wasn't all my personal strength. It was very much a belief system, and a family life where I saw others do it really well, and I could draw on that.
0: That's a really important point. I mean, I didn't have a lot of good role models for marriage growing up. And I think as adults we start to reenact all those things that we learn. So the fact that you both had role models that were successful in their marriage to
1: set that kind of example is really important. Mm, It was a great advantage. Others do it, though. I mean, it's much more heroic. Those people who without that still move forward and do it well, I was just aided, I think, in having that kind of start. Yeah. Well, I want to circle back to you
0: and Gotham, but Can you first tell me a little bit about your background growing up and how you
1: got started in your career? Yeah, well, this is the 60s and 70s where the whole concept of marriage was really shifting. I grew up wanting to educate myself and go to college, and women were going into professions for the first time. We were a generation of women that really started with our parents And I started with both my parents, including my father, rooting me on to be my own self-sufficient human being. So this idea of, I need to get married for a man's protection, or I need to get married for financial security, wasn't even a consideration. So the whole generation of women was asking itself the question, why get married? What is the point in getting married now? And Through my early 20s, I was graduating from Notre Dame and I was starting my career in the Midwest. And I met Gotham when I had gotten the same week I got a job offer to move to New York City and tackle this big job, being a market rep for 14 divisions of May Company and tackling New York City in the 80s, which wasn't easy. And I was a kind of drunk with power as opposed to hoping I'd find a man. Yeah, to take care of me. So it was a very different time. So I was asking myself before, even I thought about who to marry, do I need to marry? What is the reason to get married in this setting? So it was both of those things weighing on my mind that wasn't throwing me like those Hollywood movies into, I found a guy I love and now let's get married and happily ever after. That must have been
0: really difficult. There was a paradigm shift happening. And not only was your job demanding and cutthroat in and of itself, but you were doing it at a time when women in leadership positions was much more the exception than the rule. Yeah. Up until that point, a lot of women, they refer to it as the MRS degree. Women went to college to find a husband, right? Yeah, yeah. And there was the biological clock. And if you were single too long, it's why is she
1: not married? Why is she not having children? Was that on your radar at the time? Yeah, actually, I was in reaction to my mother's generation of women who had started having kids right away. My mom was pregnant at 19 and not even graduate. I mean, she graduated college, but she graduated with a baby in her arms. So I was like, well, I don't want to do it that soon. I want to get out and see myself in the world and experience myself on my own before I would get married and and try to raise another human being. I always believed I was going to have my own kids, but it wasn't this imperative and no one pressured me, least of all my mother, having felt she was seeing vicariously how exciting it was for me to be on my own two feet away from my father's home before I established a home with another man. So. It was great not having that pressure and just letting life kind of take me where it was going to take me. And I ended up deciding if I get married, it doesn't have to be right away. If I don't get married, I want to believe I could be very happy as my own person, as opposed to feeling the biological clock or any social pressure to get married and maybe defaulting into a bad decision because I think it's time. So that was important to me that I could imagine a life not married, and that I would only marry if I really felt compelled because the prospect in my belief system, it wasn't a legal contract. This was a vow for life. And I kept asking myself, why would I do this? Talk about courage. You can't forecast what's going to happen in your life. You can't forecast how they're going to change. You can't know how you're going to change. And I was really fearful. What if I stop liking this person? And I didn't think I'd be able to survive emotionally if I put all my love in that one basket and they walked away from me.
0: Which is such a great thing to be aware of because you do go through phases and shifts in the relationship where you don't like somebody so much. It's a deeper kind of commitment at that level. So how did you persevere when you got to that point in your relationship where it was like, okay, well, Now that I'm faced with the decision, like so many women, if I want to have kids and keep this career and pursue everything I've dreamed about for myself, that's the $64,000 question. How do we do that?
1: Because you're the one that has to stop. Right. I think instead of me wrestling with the idea of marriage intellectually, what happened is I met a person, Gotham. We met in New York City and I had all these preconceptions of what a guy you marry was supposed to be. So it was the fork in the road of, I have these ideals of what I was supposed to marry, the pillar of the community, the captain of industry, the Catholic who shared my face, the all-American, right? And who is Gotham? He's born in India. He's a Hindu. He's a wild child. He's not a consistent pillar. And he's brave and reckless in some ways. And I was constantly surprised by him. But he was fascinating and his own person. And he was so like his real self that I just couldn't not love him. And I kept fighting the idea of I'm not supposed to end up with somebody like him. I can have him in my life. He can be my best friend. But I kept relegating him to a different relationship because he's just not what I had imagined As husband type of person. And so we knew each other for eight years before we got married because I just had to wear down my fear. I had to really examine it. Like, why do I keep thinking I can't be this with this man for life? Because, because, because. So my mind had all these structures of thought, but my heart wanted him. And I think that encapsulates every big decision I've ever made in my life. My heart wants what it wants. And if I try to deny it, I'm unhappy and split. And when I take the leap, the net appears. And so it might take a week for me to leap. It might take me eight years in the case of Gotham to leap. But I think God at the center of my spirit just hounds me until I take the leap for love. I love that visual, taking a week to
0: leap or eight years to leap in the case of Gotham. It's a great example of your courage to act and move forward and to shift your desire for perfection to a desire to feel more whole and to trust the process and know with God at your center, a safety net will
1: appear. Yeah. And it was surprising to both of us because Gotham didn't see himself as the right kind of marriage material either because he envisioned it as I've got to be very consistent and I've got to be the rock and I, and I'm not that kind of person. I'm an adventurer. I'm an immigrant. I want to be a world traveler. I want to have all these big life experiences. And I had to be brave enough to share that life idea with him. So Do you think he thought you
0: were the right marriage material based on the same reasons that you gave the preconceived
1: notions of what he thought a wife would be? Well, he said the minute he met me, he said, that's the woman I should be with. I don't know if he immediately associated it with marriage, but our conversations became, why should you and I get married? Not why do people get married, but why should you and I be married? And what would its advantage be over not? And I said to him, I want that sacrament. I want to know what it's like to be shaped by a love that no matter what happens, I have to continue to fight through and find a way to help you be your best self. And you have to find a way to reach me like that. And how will we change? Who will we become if we are successful at doing that for each other that will grow us up to be the kind of people we want to be. Otherwise, why would you attempt it? It's too hard. Yeah. Right. And so I didn't believe I could do it just because I loved him or because he was so fabulous, nor did I think I was fabulous enough to make it last a lifetime. We really had to bring in a higher power and say, we're going to make this vow to, our God, not each other. And that grace will pull us along when we're gasping on the beach. It's like we're going to have to have some other source of power because we're just not enough. <laughs> That's really admirable because a lot of times
0: people are not completely honest with the person they are about to marry, for instance, about kids. Right. If we can find the courage to put the truth out there, We've got our best chance at getting what we want. And at the very least, we
1: might learn how to compromise. That's why it took us eight years, Mo. I was 34 when I got married. I wasn't 21. It took me a long time to really decide that. And I was really blessed to be in a society and a family and a generation of women where I wasn't being pressured and I wasn't having my father make a deal with another guy of where I was going to get married. It was my choice, my timing. And that was still a very new reality. I love what you said
0: about the fact that you both, independent of one another, put God first.
1: You made the vow to God, I think you said. Oh, yeah. As much as I was afraid to choose somebody so different from myself, the benefit neither one of us really understood early on is that it forces you to say things out loud because you can't assume the other person just knows like he's an american of course he gets this cultural reference point he's a catholic of course he gets my faith system i knew none of those things could be assumed with him and he with me so we had to say things out loud and make no assumptions and it ended up being a great asset you were forced to practice communicating right a lot of couples hope they can assume some things that are shared, and then realize it isn't, and it's frightening, as opposed to, we couldn't assume that, we couldn't count on that. So that made me afraid for a while. So I'm putting out those cultural differences to try to get over those hurdles. Every difference, right? He's male, I'm male. He's Indian, I'm American, he's Hindu, I'm Catholic, he's wild, I'm careful, We had so many differences that it created a practice of, wait a second, I got to say this out loud, make sure he understands me and I got to hear where he is. And that kind of conversation and connection became our biggest asset because we just had to. (laughs) I think
0: that's one of the things that we take for granted, at least Andy and I have. That we understand each other without articulating it, but because we're from similar backgrounds, we were both raised Catholic, we had similar educations and similar upbringings, mm-hmm. we take for granted all those things that you were forced to talk about and define yeah, so that there was a better understanding and I know you said you had a lot of differences, but one of the things that seems so attractive from the very beginning is that you both had a lot of self-confidence. Mm. And just from hearing what you said about how you were raised and the support that you had, it sounds like you were told that even as a woman, you could do anything that a man could do. And the laws of attraction are always at work and you get the love you think you deserve. Yeah, And- It seems like you attracted that kind of confidence because you were on the same frequency.
1: I was so focused on our differences that you're right. There were a lot of shared things that I had to really circle back around and recognize. The fact that Gotham appreciated my strength and loved my intellect, and none of that repelled or set him back. Like Sometimes people thought I was too intense, too much of a Mack truck he was really the first guy I ever met who wasn't initially repelled or kind of hair blown back. He leaned in to my Mack truck and I leaned into his wild seed and we really loved it in each other as opposed to just tolerated it. So yeah, he was the first one who really told me you're really brave for tackling this job and coming to New York and excited by the differences in other people. And I don't think I really saw myself that way until he held the mirror up and I could see in his face how much he loved that. So a lot of what's great about your your soulmate seeing things in you that you're just starting to understand, or maybe you never really appreciated enough. And the love that they give you for that kind of grows you up and builds your powers. Gosh, Judy, it's great to
0: hear you say that because it reminds me that I think that's why Andy was different. He wasn't the least bit intimidated by that Mack truck effect or my sometimes fiery personality. He saw straight past my insecurities and straight through to my heart. Mm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it seems like Gotham somewhere along the way learned how to respect other people's choices,
1: regardless of sex. Well, that's the thing. I didn't even meet his family until we were getting married in India so I get there and I had this moment where all the cousins were in the bathroom putting all kinds of makeup on me and putting on my wedding langa, and putting all these bangles on my wrists. And I, it was just too much. It was just too different. It was too foreign. Culture shock. Yeah. And then Gotham just comes back from what other errand he was running. We were staying at a hotel. And he sees me in the bathroom with all the makeup on. And he's standing in the doorway just looking at me. He can see I'm tearing up. I'm getting visibly upset. And he's like, Jude, what are you doing? And he shoes all the cousins out of the bathroom. And he starts wiping the makeup off my face. And he's like, they just don't know what to do with an American bride. You have to tell them. And he said it so calmly. And my mom, Joan, was in the bathroom watching this. And he just took my hand and he's still wiping, you know, the makeup and the tears off my face. I'm just looking into his eyes like, what is going on? Then we just turned and both looked into the mirror. He's like, you're going to be fine. Just be who you are. Remember who you are. And that was great advice. Again, your fear, what can stop you from being brave is that you're just losing yourself in whatever's going on around you. And you have to just keep reasserting, wait a second, I know who I am. I know what I think. I know what to do. Trust that and move through it. And then as long as you keep a a hold of yourself, the environment doesn't have to be so distracting. So it was great to have that moment with him. I think that's when I really said to myself, yeah, he can be the guy who does this journey with me because he just innately... Trusts himself and always goes back to he moves forward with the bravery and the courage he has because he just knows he listens to himself, believes that, and then moves forward with that. That's really powerful because
0: it wasn't until my second marriage, I got married for the second time, and I think I was 34, 35, but it wasn't until that point in my life where. I was marrying for all the right reasons, Mm. which was I didn't feel like I was marrying somebody who was going to complete me. I felt like I was as whole as I could be independent of Andy and that being together could only enhance who I was spiritually. Mm. And your anecdote reminds me of that sentiment because I think that's really the the key to having a really solid marriage from the root.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's so important to not expect this other person to do for you what only you can do or what only you can do with your God. But the companionship of someone else that holds up the mirror and helps you examine things is so important. And I was really surprised at how Gotham was willing to develop a language to talk about that with me, because for a lot of men, it's difficult to develop an emotional language, to be able to express their feelings and bring it out and look at it and talk about things deep in the heart. And he had to learn how to do that because I needed that so much from him. Yeah, that's tough, no matter where that learning curve starts. I mean,
0: I was a little lucky in one sense when I married Andy, because even though he's a man of few words, he's really evolved emotionally and spiritually. Mm. And that was critical for me to have that in my life at that point and in a relationship, which doesn't mean we don't suffer in a lot of other areas or become complacent. But developing an emotional language is something that all couples
1: have to navigate. So How did you guys move through that? He just kept working at the words. Like when I said to him, why do you want to get married? And he had to keep coming back to, I just trust you and you are my rock. I'm not going to be your rock. You are my rock. And I'm going to be the spice in our life. I'm going to bring the excitement, but you're going to bring that safe harbor. So he was trying to find words to honor what he loved in me while making sure I was clear on who he was and who he wasn't. And he didn't want to sell me a used car. He really wanted me to be clear, like, this is who you're getting. And are you really ready for life with someone who is going to go through that much change and wants all those different kinds of adventures? So I had to just really recalibrate. I'm not doing this for security. I'm not doing this for protection. I've got to be all of those secure things for myself with my God. Gotham is going to bring the excitement, the stimulation. He's going to bring me the whole world. I did a note at the time. What I really wanted, I wanted the stimulation of a relationship that would stay exciting my whole life, that I could constantly change and evolve with this person. And he demands that because that's just who he is. That is a gift.
0: It forces other people to rise to their best self, you know? Yeah. How did you guys decide on a wedding tradition? Was it Hindu or Catholic?
1: We got married in the U.S. in the Catholic ritual with everybody in the U.S., and then we went to India to do the Hindu ritual with his family, because it was too hard and too expensive for everybody to cross the globe. So what was important was to be paying attention to all those new relationships while I was trying to learn my role in the Hindu ritual. And that's why it was such a cauldron of emotion for me, because these relationships were so important to me. And Gotham, who had spent so many years in the U.S., had to reestablish a lot of those bonds, and they'd never had anybody outside the Sindhi sect. In the family, let alone an American Catholic coming to them with a moment's notice. So they were just so surprising in how welcoming they were. And I wanted so much to create the right first uh, connection with them while really understanding everything else that was going on. So, of course, it was going to be overwhelming. And I think what I learned from Gotham is you just got to calm down, settle yourself and move into these very foreign situations, just bringing who you are. And the world will respond to that. There's nothing so foreign about being an Indian. They're human beings too, and they're lovely hearts.
0: I love that story, hearing about his family and his culture, because where he may have struggled to get the words right before when he said you would be his rock, he was yours in this instance, you know? It's that mirroring effect again and reflection that you both do so
1: well. Mm, yeah. Actually, when we went through pre-Cana, the Catholic Church asked us to go to a marriage counselor to make sure we knew what we were getting into, being a multicultural, biracial couple, etc. cetera. And the marriage counselor listened to us for a while and said, you know, Jude, it sounds like Gotham has most of the flexibility. And I was hurt. I was like, what do you mean? And <laughs> he's like, well, he came to the States. He's in your home country. He's at this pre-Cana Catholic exercise that you're asking him to do with you. He's talking about every change he's going to make to accommodate your life here. But I haven't heard you really say, how are you going to accommodate him? And Gotham, of course, has this Cheshire cat grin on his face. How did you answer that? I said, it's true. He's got this great immigrant flexibility to tackle any new situation. And I guess the biggest thing I'm going to have to do is be ready for whatever he throws at me because I think he's going to change a lot. And I've got to let go of expectations of consistency and stability. And I'm a preparer and I don't think there's any way to prepare for Gotham. One of the things I think you
0: said while he was fascinating and wild is that he was unpredictable.
1: Oh, it still is. But that's the thing. I couldn't reconcile the idea of marriage with living in an unpredictable, ever-changing environment, which by the way is life. Yeah. But I had to really say, I've got really stupid ideas about marriage. I've got to re-examine and bring along as we are married people. And we're going to change that understanding as we shape it for ourselves. No one marriage is the same. So if you have to have a lot of confidence that you can shape a marriage uniquely with this other person and make it work for you. Gotham always had that confidence. I had to take that leap of courage much later and I had to really grapple with that. It's those little bites of courage
0: along the way that seem to add up to perseverance and longevity.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's true.
0: Was there a defining moment when you're
1: like, yes, I want to marry you. It's funny. We don't really remember the proposal moment. (laughs) I just remember going to breakfast with him and saying, you know what? I just can't not be with you. I even took a job. I went to work for Victoria's Secret in Columbus and left New York, left Gotham behind for this job opportunity. I think it was my last ditch effort to say, you know, maybe I'll find a good pillar of the community back in the Midwest and this was just kind of like sowing my wild oats. And I get to Columbus, Ohio, and I'm living there and doing the job, but I'm just missing him. All my other relationships there were lovely, but I was getting on planes to fly back to New York and see him. And and he's like, I knew you'd be back. And I think that's what's our version of a proposal. Because then we started planning the wedding. But Every conversation we had between that moment and the actual wedding in Indiana was about we just, we just can't not be in life together. So we're just going to have to make up whatever marriage is that allows us to be together. And that was freeing because then you could get rid of all the other backdrops of what you thought it was or what other people did. It's a creative act between two people, Period.
0: Were there any moments or anything that you did on a practical level or actionable
1: way to take each of these steps so that you could let go of these things? A lot of what I imagined as the world giving us a hard time never materialized. People didn't get us. They didn't become our friends. If they did, we became close to them, much like any couple, right? Yeah. I can't think of a time where anybody attacked us or did anything scary because we were biracial and both our families accepted and realized it was different. And in that way too, they didn't impose expectations on us. Like my family didn't know what to expect of an American Catholic. So again, we just started from where we were, which is awesome. I wish every wedding or marriage could start like that. Yeah. In the 25 years we've been married since, the fact that we couldn't have children was a surprise naturally. And then realizing uh, he wasn't comfortable adopting. And but even in that case, which was a surprise, I remember talking about it with my mom and her saying, You know, dude, there's so many children already here to love. Why don't you start with your nieces and nephews? And I said, You're right. You're right. Accept the realities of what come. And enjoy them. This is your path that's been architected for you, designed by God. So again, going back to my belief system, if you don't have all these preconceived thoughts about what you're going to do for your life and you realize you're not the architect, you're not the designer, your job is to accept these beautiful things laid in your path and embrace them and do as much as you can with them, enjoy them. And not waste your life saying, oh, I wish I had children of my own, or I wish I had married a guy from Notre Dame, or I wish, I wish, I wish, right? Yeah. To really enjoy where you are and see the beauty in that, I think, is what allows you to persevere in a marriage that lasts as long as marriage can last. And to keep seeing every time you go through a new life stage, like this move back to Indiana, We're going to see each other in a whole new way. Gotham's going to be on the beach in a little small town. I thought you were going to say in a little small bikini.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't get ahead of me, sister. (laughs) Everything you did was the antithesis of what I did. In my first marriage, I was 27 when I got married the first time. I really had no business getting married. I didn't have good role models. I didn't want to have kids, I wanted to have a career. I was very driven. I was a planner. I thought by the time I was 27 that I should get married, that I should have kids, that I should have a career and then have kids and that I should have it all. And that whole phrase of being a superwoman, it imposes something on society, on men and women to support that idea. And it's unrealistic.
1: Well, I, like you, had this initial thought of having it all. That's what That was a big social thought at the time, right? Yeah. But in my case, it just happened. Like, oh, we can't have kids? At first, I was in shock because everybody in my family gets pregnant before they want to be. So I just never expected or thought that was even a possibility. And then when Gotham was reticent about adoption, I wanted to go into this pit, but then I thought, I'll get struck by lightning because so much of my life is beyond what anybody could even have have hoped for. So it just seemed so ungrateful to have like one thing cross my path and have a big breakdown over it. But when Joan gave me that way to think about it, there's so many children to love. They just won't be your children. And what does that even mean? Even moms, they're not your children, right? You know, they come through you and then they go out into the world. The only times it's really hard honestly, Mo, is like on Mother's Day and when women start talking about the thing they just know as mothers and then they look at you like, "Oh, you don't know what we're talking about." I wasn't uncomfortable about not having
0: kids by a certain age, but other people were uncomfortable.
1: Or you're you're outside the club. Yeah. And it's a club that's big. It's like the thing, the the female experience of all time that you're missing. And so again, back to the how can I have a full life experience and not, as a woman and not be a mother? But the thing that's amazing in our family is there were so many cases where I needed to kind of fly in when the family was having a crisis or the parents just needed a timeout, right? And I was left with the kids to babysit or the kids were in the hospital and there needed to be people around the clock when the parents had to go to bed. And And there were just so many opportunities to stand in and be part of those great moments with those children. And they put their kids in my arms as if I was an extension of them. And so I could feel it so closely. And then as godmother, so many of the kids I'm godmother to, and the other ones I just pretend I am, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, sure, it does take a village. And the role of aunt isn't talked about in our society that much. But to be an aunt, in a lot of ways, they can tell you things they can't tell their parents. In a lot of ways, they can seek sanctuary in you Yeah, when the relationship with parent is too intense or fraught with its friction. And those have been unique moments too. And again, that was the life I was meant to have. And instead of regretting it, like I wish I could have been mom to say, wow, I've had an amazing experience as aunt. And I remind people around me, that's a valuable role in a family. It's not just mother, it's not just dad. And the women that don't have kids, you've got to stand up and represent them to society to say, we are not half women, because we didn't have our own children, right? We, We can still be valuable contributors to society. The
0: other thing that strikes me is the cultural difference. There's more emphasis on the family and and taking in other children from other families and elderly, whereas in America culturally we're really emphasizing independence, which the byproduct of that is separateness and disconnectedness. but yeah, I think that's why sometimes. I hear women, like the way you did now, we feel like we have to justify it instead of just embracing that idea and lifting women up. And what you did for your nieces and nephews is
1: invaluable. And you might learn, like in my case with Gotham, Gotham's not into kids like I am. And that became clearer as we got married. Now people have asked me, that could have been a deal breaker for you in your marriage. I'm like, no, because you get married saying no matter what. So in a great way, it teaches you like, they have to be them, you have to be you, and how much freedom and respect can you give each other in marriage to live your own individual lives while still being really connected companions as you do it. It sounds like a bit of a paradox, but you can't really be Siamese twins got to allow the other to have very different reactions in some cases and to go off alone. Like if I was going to go babysit my nieces and nephews, I didn't drag him with me. I went and did those four day weekends and then came back home and he would use that time to go see friends that I didn't enjoy as much as he did. So you have to have those moments of the road splits and you go have your separate adventures, but then you come back and share what you can share. So again, I. Love the freedom of that. A, very different for Gotham Eye than a lot of other marriages we observe, but you know, it just happens to work for us.
0: And I think it comes back to the confidence that both of you have and having respect for each other to be able to do that where you can both live your lives independent of one another and come back and find joy in what
1: the other person has experienced you know, you keep using the word confidence, which is kind of you, but sometimes I think it's just more, we both had this ferocious desire for freedom. And maybe that's what took us so long to decide marriage would be okay because we thought freedom and marriage were diametrically opposed. Yeah. So I think the reason we're chomping at the bit to have our freedom from each other sometimes, and then by going away and doing our own thing and exercising our freedoms then we realize we miss each other and can come back and be excited to see each other again. So you're right. I think it initially maybe it comes
0: from being confident and feeling secure and not feeling threatened by what somebody else is doing, which might mean that because you feel threatened, you might put guilt on somebody. But I think you're right. On a much deeper level, it's really about having that sense of freedom and maybe more importantly, being true to yourselves.
1: Yeah. And sometimes when we go out, we get and do our own little separate adventures. I'll get insecure about something and come back and he'll have to build me back up or he'll go out and do something. And there might be some carnage there that we have to sweep up, you know, but whatever we do, whatever mess we get into or whatever insecurities and fears and flawed activities we get ourselves into, I think you just have this touchstone with each other to come back and say, okay, how do we regroup together? And if that's the bar, yeah, like you don't put a lot of expectation on yourself to do everything right or to be supremely confident. Whatever happens, like again, that's what I really enjoy about Gotham. He calls it what it is. Like, we're being stupid right now. Let's get our act together and be smart. Or we've ignored this and we need to come back to this. It's just as messy a life as anybody else's. But I think you just have that other person to kind of call you on it and hold you accountable to moving forward and hopefully little smarter, a little better, a little more heartfelt, more faithful way. about having courage to hear the truth from someone? Yike!
0: I love that directness. Say what you mean and mean what you say. It takes courage to live your life every day. You're fighting a world that is going to do its best to tempt and distract you from being something that you're not. And that's a really vulnerable place to be. So if you can be in a relationship with somebody that has the courage to call you out and you can trust them to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, it can only get better from there. Yeah, you're right. As far as Catholicism and Hinduism, are there
1: any rituals that you've integrated into your life together? Actually, Gotham's really distrustful of religious institutions for a lot of reasons a lot of people are that you lose the spirit of the faith and fall into like a rule ridden orthodoxy and you exclude others as opposed to include. So it was great to know someone who felt that way because it again called me to examine, am I Catholic because I'm part of some club or am I Catholic because I really have a faith that this community resonates with. So in our relationship he allows me to practice my faith in whatever way I choose. So I go to mass on my own. I have prayer groups and things. Um, now I'm cantering and as part of my service to the church. and whatever I choose to do, he's like, "You go girl, right? For him, it's more of a spirituality where he wants to talk and examine, and when we go through difficult choices or we go through any difficulty in our life, or when we're celebrating something and trying to understand why things are so good, that's when he kind of says, this is how I know there's a God. He's taking care of us. Or there's a, a good force in the universe that's clearing our path. So he he's developed a language that's much broader because he doesn't like the tribal aspect of religion and wants everyone to be included in this idea. We are all one. And what he liked about our marriage was it's a reflection to the world. We are all one. If these two people can come together and... Create a community. Then, as different as they are, then anybody in the world can reach across their different beginnings. And I think that's an important message right now because I feel like we're all getting kind of tribal and nationalist, and we want to preserve that that message in the way we live. Yeah. And I think when it comes to the Hindu Catholic connection, it's really just how. I engage with his family to learn about Hinduism, to learn about what it means to be Indian, and how he asks me and my family questions about my faith. It's honestly just the curiosity to learn and understand and enjoy the benefit of what those teachings bring to us as individuals, even if we don't practice. I don't pray to Ganbati when I'm in India, but I know that Maddie and his mother do. So just to be aware of that and to show my respect for that as opposed to, ew, or that's different than me. And in the same way, when I go to India, Priscilla, who works in the house and has taken care of the family her whole life, she walks to Catholic church with me because she's from Goa and she's a Catholic. And so she and I have that experience together when I'm there. And they ask when I get back, what was church about? Like, what was the homily about? You know what I mean? So by showing their interest in, that's how we try to communicate a a shared respect, even if we don't do it together. It sounds to
0: me, beyond the curiosity, there's just a willingness to be respectful to, to listening to other people and to other points of view and using some critical thinking to sort of make your own decision about that. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, honestly Judy, it sounds like you have the perfect marriage. No, 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 no. I know that's not I know that's not the case. But the reason I say that is simply because you guys are both really good at listening to your hearts. And I guess part of me feels a little bit of shame in in having to admit this, but you know, in the first couple of years of marriage, we know how to trigger. We know how to push each other's buttons. Oh, yeah first year was great. The second year is when the war kicked in and there was a baby and then another baby. And the ideal is to find a happy medium and learn how to compromise without feeling compromised because that just turns into resentment, which helps nothing. But that's when the power struggle began. And looking back, it really came down to how we communicated or didn't. And we fought a lot Mm -hmm. and we knew how to go below the belt. And we threw the divorce word out there a couple of times, I have to say. And I finally said, you know what? We're in this for the long haul. We're going to figure this out. Even though there were times when I was looking for the
1: nearest exit sign, I said, we can't throw out the D word anymore. I'm I'm totally with you. We said the same thing when we had our first fights after we got married, because before we got married, I would take off, go back to my apartment and give him a cold shoulder for a week. You know, it's funny. I don't say I did this with wisdom because when I've got my Irish temper up, I'm not thinking. But in one of our first fights, he said, I know you're probably going to like walk out over this. I'm like, oh, no, it's worse than that. You're stuck with me for the rest of your life. <laughs> We're either going to work through this or we're going to be mad for a long time. So by acknowledging it is not an option to give up on each other, we have to figure this out. It is a very different way to think. And I'm much more prideful than Gotham is. There were times when I just, you know how they say, don't go to bed mad. Yeah. But there were a couple of times like, you know, Gotham, we're going to figure this out, but I'm just too angry. I'm afraid I'm going to say things I don't mean tonight. I'm going to sleep on the couch. And as soon as I've got myself back together and I'm a human being, I will return. So I try to say things like, I'm not blaming you. You're not the bad guy, but I am just not in a place to seek peace. Yeah, And it really bothers him. He thinks it's terrible the way I retreat. But I keep saying I have to retreat because I'm afraid of what I'm going to do. And there is power in words. If I say things that I'm just doing because I'm angry... You'll stay hurt for a lot longer than I'll remember saying them. Yeah. We're flawed people. And the only reason we're so happy is because for whatever mysterious reason, we just love each other to bits and we would keep going. That's it. There's nothing perfect about it. It's just there but for the grace of God go I. I don't know why certain marriages dissolve and others are so happy. Uh, I just trust him. What do you think is the biggest thing that you were afraid of? I think the biggest thing I was afraid of is that if I put all my love into somebody and they just wake up one day and say, I met this woman, I don't think I would recover like other people can. And I could be wrong. He could still do it. That's the thing about marriage. You just don't know when that terrible curveball is going to come. But I just really believe no matter what I do, he's, he's got your back. Yeah. And how much of that is what you cultivate yourself versus he comes from that tradition. His parents stayed together and his grandparents stayed together. He expects there to be times when it's not great, but he's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. And I,
0: I honestly, Judy, I don't think I, um, I don't think that solidified in my heart until maybe within the last five years where I was like, we'll get through it because we will, because we're not going to give up. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, which was having a God in your life, whatever you want to call that, whatever your concept is of that, there had to be something greater than ourselves that we could draw from. And as I started to understand that, and that I couldn't fix, manage, and control him or anyone for that matter, and I focused on keeping my own side of the street clean and not worrying about his, things got better. But ultimately it comes down to making that choice. We're not going to give up making that choice
1: every time. Yeah. That's exactly the essence of it. We're just not going to give up. It doesn't mean we're such a pretty picture and that we should write a documentary (laughs) for marriage because you know what I mean? But maybe that's just the difference in the end. Some just eventually say I give up and others say, let's keep going. And what compels you to choose either one of those tracks? Only God knows. And I think the fighting is a very important moment to actually strengthen the marriage by not threatening to leave, although it's very easy to do and it can always be forgiven, but to just keep saying to yourself, how do we find a way through this? And maybe it doesn't come to mind right away. Or I have to acknowledge his need right now and put my need aside. Like My thing was about, I was such a workaholic. There'd be times when he'd literally take the work out of my lap, put it in my briefcase, and hide the briefcase. (laughs) He'd be like, Jude, you're getting ridiculous. And he was trying to make a point, but it would just drive me crazy. Like, no, I have to finish this and you've got to respect my professional life. But when I really thought about it, yeah, after hour 12, take a break. If you're married, you're going to put some of your energy during the day into the marriage, is all he was saying. But put your own thoughts aside and say, okay, this is how I'm looking at it, but that's not how he sees it. Yeah, Can I really stand in this other person's skin? And if I can't stand in my husband's skin, then I'm not empathetic at all. Because if there's anybody I should be able to empathize with, it's my own husband. So there were times when you were just aware of your own personal failing. And that was what was hardest for me. So when those moments when you're most angry and most tempted to say something, because you're right, it is so easy to hurt the person you're closest to. You know exactly how to hurt them. Yeah. And my regrets all stem from times when I zapped him just because I was mad and needed to lash out. And he just was an easy mark. And that's so dangerous in marriage to use your spouse like a whipping dog. And I can do it so easily. I can really relate to that too. And I, I think we're similar in this way that
0: We're very verbal and we get fiery. We can go from zero to 60. I've been referred to as a firecracker plenty of times in my life. And Andy's pretty even keel. He's pretty mellow and he's a good, solid, reasonable guy. And he does not carry a grudge. That's tempting. (laughs) He lets things go. And I've only really learned how to do that through marriage with him. But I have to decompress. It will get better. We'll get through it. But Like you, I don't want to go to bed mad. And then I hear myself saying, well, forget that, jerky boy. (laughs) (laughs) So we did come up with a code word, which ended up being the word hot dog. And the way it's supposed to work is if either one of us say that word, we both have to stop talking dead in our tracks because we're completely flooded. And if we keep going, we're going to say something that we'll regret. But it took us years to figure out that dynamic and how to
1: make that work. Right. There's the pain you can cause each other. yeah, And then there's the how do you just keep the affection, the connection that you need as two people to keep the relationship fully alive, as opposed to marriage as the business of just getting life done? And for Goth and I, our ritual, you know, we called it wine time, but Just sitting on the porch, carving out, like when I started to realize he's right, I've got to put my work away and stop and have a moment where we just have a conversation away from the technology, where we can ask each other, what happened today? And what are you thinking about? And how are you doing? Even if it's an hour, and even if it's not every day, but as many days as you can pull it off, just to stop, just stop the world and look at that person and register what's going on with them and get out of your own head and hear where they are. I think that's getting harder and harder to do in the busyness of modern life. And people are on their phones or watching TV or there's so many distractions that to just have a real conversation with each other, to check in and stay connected in that way. For he and I, that's just essential.
0: Aside from that, are there any other
1: rituals that you guys practice? that help you to connect every day? Well, every morning, his favorite ritual is in the morning, I bring him coffee in bed, obviously with my own cup of coffee. And that's about as wifey a thing as I do for the poor man. (laughs) But that's what he gets. I go make coffee, I bring him a cup and we sit in bed and we're either talking about the news or talking about what's up for the day. That's a real important kickoff for us. Because again, in the morning, we can get clear on what the other's up to and not trip over misunderstandings during the day if we've kind of said out loud, here's what I want to do. Do you need help from me here? Where do you need me? Right? So it's just a general agenda. Yeah. Just to make sure there's no disappointments that could have been averted. And then the end of day is more heartfelt. It's more, how are we feeling about things? And what are we thinking about? And like I say, we really love those because it's it's divorced from all the activities and the doing. It's just more what's in your heart or your mind and you see another side of each other and you really feel like you plugged into how they're feeling. But those two beginning and end of day things, every once in a while a date night is nice, but less important now to go out and do that as opposed to the simple two check-ins during the day. Have you gone through periods of where you have felt complacency. The complacency times were when I let my career drive me 60 plus hours a week. And I ignored him for too long. I don't know how he hung on as long as he did. I mean, he understood I was doing it for us in one sense, but the maniacal extreme nature of what I was doing, it just got more and more intense as I, as I took on bigger and bigger executive positions. And frankly, when I stopped two and a half years ago, it was having that conversation with him. He's like, if you're really up to your hairline in terms of physical exhaustion, I think it would be good for you to stop and recalibrate what is right for you. So he really encouraged me to take a pause and take better care of myself, which I just never did. I just abused my healthy body and and didn't care for myself physically, or, or mentally and just expected it. Yeah, he was my conscience out there saying, if not for me, and our marriage, please do it for your own health. Yeah, again, he was holding up the mirror. Oh, yeah. And so I ignored him for way too long. And I just thank God he hung in there. Because talk about a bite of courage, a lot of courage is just not sexy perseverance. It's just hanging in there and waking up every day and trying again. And he certainly did that for me when I was losing sight.
0: So you started to have a conversation about crafting a simpler life. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you found the courage
1: to move through that? In all honesty, the work I was doing was starting to become more problematic. New leaders came into the company that I didn't connect with. So that just of its own started to kind of fall apart in a way that allowed me to kind of say, you know what? It's the perfect time to step away. And at the same time, physically, mentally, I was like, I don't want to do something that's so extreme anymore. I did it in my twenties and thirties and forties and fifties, but it doesn't feel relevant anymore to live like this. And again, what's great about Gotham is the second it's time to change, he's ready to think about it like that as opposed to holding out. And then we looked at our three acres and our big house and he's like, you know, we built this when we thought there was gonna be a family compound visiting and living in it and that's what it is. That's what it is meant to be. Not two people that wanna downsize and simplify their lives. So as different as we are, we both agree." Okay, let's take the leap. Let's sell the house and leave the job and in that new desert, figure out where we want to go. Because if we don't get all the old world out of our way, we might just fall back into it because it's habit. So he just blew it all up, which was scary. (laughs) (laughs) And he showed me again, he's so much more fearless about going through that kind of change. He was more and more excited. And I was sad to drive out of the driveway for the last time and sad to see pieces I had bought leave at the tag sale. You know, It was harder for me to let go. Then I realized I was disappointed in myself that I was holding on to things like a white knuckle grip. And Gotham was like, yay, we're free. <laughs> it sounds liberating. Well, it was for him. It took me longer as we we're driving the car to Indiana with a few things in the backseat he's like, aren't you starting to feel it, dude? Doesn't it feel kind of great? Like you don't have all this stuff to maintain and all these different bills to pay and all these people that have to come and take care of all these things that you own. And this is going to be cool. And I think I just borrowed his courage and looked at his picture for a while until my own could form because he's just quicker at making the jump. And He just loves the adventure. Oh,
0: I love that. I love that you looked at his picture for a while and borrowed his courage. It's that processing that we need to do. And I love that he's so adaptive, Judy. It's kind of what you talked about earlier, that story when you were talking about
1: him and he calmed you down on your wedding day and he told you just be yourself. I'm telling you, if you can marry someone who's adaptive and flexible, you're halfway home. Yeah.
0: Seriously. I think you had mentioned part of trying to craft this simpler life and trusting the process that would lead you to this place now and being in a career for so long and being so driven and so focused on that and then having to let go of everything you built, of that important title and, like you said, to realize there are people who no longer need you or have use for you. Yeah, It came down to, I think you said without the big job and the title, the question of, who am I?
1: Yeah, that was the sad part, realizing, wow, people I thought were my friends or relationships I thought were built on more. I realized now that I didn't have a title or connections or a way to give them opportunities, I wasn't useful anymore, and they dropped out of sight. That was was hard. I was sad about that.
0: Yeah, that's painful. We all get to a place when everything starts to change or disappear or transform, and we're left asking ourselves, who am I and what does it all mean? It's an imperative question for men and women, but I think it's especially important for women because for as long as I can remember, there's been this controversy between women about what the right choice is or isn't as far as working in the home or outside the home. And I don't want to be cavalier about this or diminish the value of the conversation, but I never understood why women criticized each other. Because I feel like as long as we're able to make these choices about the things that make us happy, especially as it pertains to our families, that's what matters. I don't think my kids are going to remember tidy house, although you know it'd be nice once in a while, but. <laughs> They're going to remember if mom was happy or sad and what they felt like when they were at home.
1: I think it's true for men and women, maybe more so for women. As we kept evolving to new places in society, there was the comparison of the successful career woman, or you looked at the happy mother of four kids and you just wondered, is their life better? Did they make better choices? Is is that something I can still have for myself if it looks good? And for me, at this late stage, I'm, I'm going to be 60 this year. I'm just learning how to cook. I'm just learning how much fun it is to decorate a home for the holidays. And I didn't think about the possibility of these different stages. Yeah, I was the career woman early on. And now I can be the homemaker. Now I can be Martha Stewart if I want to be. It's not this now or never, have it all at once. Yeah. It could be just the evolution and allowing yourself to find it, discover it, embrace it when it's the right time for you, or never. To really be comfortable with that, that's never going to be me, and that's okay. And to enjoy a friend that has that life, to say, I can live it vicariously through you even if it's not right for me, right? Now we're building community with all these disparate, different characters, and the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts because we're not threatened by envy or jealousy or a road not traveled and that goes back to being grateful and loving your reality and i think that's such an important your marriage your reality your kids your life what it is is fine and i will love it and give it everything i have and i'm not going to waste a lot of energy trying to stack it up to anybody else's life cuz there's no way to know or understand it anyone else's life like your own yeah regardless of choice, women just need to be lifted up and
0: supported, period. Right. We all need that, but I think women are the most
1: undervalued, underutilized resource in the world, frankly. And Yeah, it's hard to imagine that's still true, but yes. And when women understand the power in each other and are able to reach out to each other, knowing the supports each needs, those have been some of the best moments in my life. When my sister was young and- dealing with her epilepsy and having young children and I didn't have any children when she would bring them to my house for the weekend so she could rest up and I could have my magical kingdom (laughs) with those kids. I mean, that was such an enormous gift to me. Yeah, And it gave her a night's sleep. And there's so many opportunities for women to do that for each other where it's, it's such a win-win. I really want to find ways to do more and more of that in a female community going forward. I'd love to do that too. This whole idea about our choices
0: that we make along the way and just celebrating the differences because we are more similar than we are dissimilar. And now here we are, you and me, very different paths in our lives, but we're both at very similar crossroads, asking ourselves the same question, who am I? Without the title, uh, without the big job, who am I? I mean, my job has been mom. Mm. I had my professional career early on, but I was that woman who did have to choose and wanted to choose and was lucky to be able to to make the choice that I did and to plan my family in the way that I did. But my job has been mom. And who am I now without that job, without that title, so to speak? And frankly, I, I got to figure that out soon because I'm getting downsized <laughs>
1: as we speak. My kids are only a few years away from flying the coop. It's another great example, though, Mo, of you'll always be mom, but you'll be evolving and changing, probably radically, what that means as your children grow into big adult people and need a different type of relationship with you, right? Yeah. Same thing with a with marriage. The marriage Gotham and I have today will be different than the marriage when I was working like a maniac, and he was pressing his nose to the glass saying oh my gosh, put your work down. So that's what's so exciting is that you can challenge yourself to see the reality of today, different than the past, unlearn all the old stuff that's no longer relevant, let go of it, like me selling the big house that's no longer necessary, and say, now, what do we want to build and create? That's right for now. It's a very scary tabula rasa and exciting at the same time. It's this both. And there's moments of uh, I'm completely stumped. I don't know what to do. And other moments of, oh my gosh, it's so great to have the freedom and flexibility to decide and create something. So you're always going back and forth and, and merging the two instincts of fear and love and hopefully diminishing the fear induced and choosing the love piece that's more who you really are, what you you really want. That's such a great reminder, Judy. One of the things before
0: we finish up here, can you share anything that has surprised you in this journey of self-discovery?
1: How fulfilling it is to try to develop more a life of service. I've been so in my own life, driving it with my husband, this time with my mom, is so different because I have to develop an attention to who she is, what help she wants and doesn't want. And I think that's the great thing about when you're trying to have a part of your life, if not the whole life, to serve another person. Like marriage, it brings out this side of yourself that has a whole different attention level. So it can be little things like I know she hates to ask for help. So can I just fill her water bottle without asking, or bring her in a snack after her workout. Cause I see that's normally when she's looking for something. And if something happens, like she takes a fall instead of rushing over and yanking her up, asking her, what do we do now? So she can stay in control of her recovery. Those were all very new things for me. And I'm aware now how selfishly I've lived without having this as a part of my life, so I'm coming to it late, but I'm finding it really surprising at how meaningful and how much it feeds me, yeah, as opposed to it being just held for her. It's got to be difficult too, I'm sure, for both of you that whole role reversal she's not giving up her independence and strong sense of self. That's why it's difficult to figure out how to help in that way. But I think like you being a mother, you had to learn that with your kids. I didn't have experiences like that. So when you're learning something late in life, to groove those paths of thought require a lot more energy and um, flexibility. Yeah. A lot of other women are much better at this than I am. Because they've had roles where they had to put themselves aside and really focus on their kids or really focus on the needs of others for hours of a day, right? I didn't have to do that. So I have to really pay attention. And this is where I seek friends like you, Mo, to say, Well, how would you handle this situation? Because I'm I'm a student and there's a lot of women that can be my teacher because they've just developed it early on in their lives. So I've got to the humility to say, wow, I'm just not good at this yet. How can I seek the advice of those who just really know this in their bones? The self-awareness
0: is so important. And when you're talking about your mom, Joan, it, it reminded me of this
1: idea of accompaniment. Yeah, it's so true. And allowing her still those moments to teach and advise and do all the things that are her strength and power. They're still alive and well in her. There's just this other aspect of physical support that she now needs and the balance of both end. So she still has her dignity. So yeah, it, it's a great thing to learn because we're all headed there. <laughs> so, so she's a scout in terms of teaching me what's coming. And you're right. The word accompaniment is perfect because there's a two-way learning in it. There isn't a subservient role in being in the relationship together. Yeah,
0: that's beautiful. And at the same time, you're discovering the value and what it means to restore yourself and finding the things that
1: you love to do. I don't think I ever was willing to acknowledge my limits and say, I can't can't go without this much sleep. I can't put one more hour into this. Gotham was trying so hard to get me to acknowledge that. You're a human being and you can't pretend you're God. So now as I get older, my body is calling a halt. It's saying, you can go here and and no further. So the humility to realize I can't make those same choices and I've got to start to discover a gentler, kinder me. And by the little things I do for Joan is calling attention to the kind of wife I never was either. I joked about the only wifey thing he got from me was a cup of coffee in the morning, but that's a terrible thing to admit. So now to say like what are the little kindnesses I could do for him like I do for Joan because that's got to bring a lot of meaning too in my definition of wife. So I'm finally very late in the game. You went 25 years without this. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other things that I could do as a wife in my relationship with him for his good that I just never considered or thought about before. Well,
0: don't sell yourself short because those little things really are important to me. Like Andy, especially in the winter, has gotten into a wonderful habit of
1: filling up my car with gas. That's perfect. Exactly what I'm talking about. It's paying attention to the things that you know they would truly appreciate. And that you're right, Mo, they're little things. But to notice and then to do them They mean so much, and I'm convinced there's a lot more opportunities for me to do that for my husband that I just never paid attention or noticed. It's just time, it's time to be a better human. And now that I have time on my side, there's no longer the excuse of I'm working hard and I'm dead when I get home. I've got to take advantage of the new opportunity to do a few more things just because I can. I guess that's part of our job
0: now. Part of the journey is to free yourself from yourself, your ego and all the stuff that we thought was important so that something greater than yourself can be alive and present to these everyday experiences that you missed before, that I missed before. Well said. Well, what's next for you? I know you're leaving for India soon. So what's the
1: dream ahead? Well, I think again, continuing to see what else stimulates me that is different than the work I used to do. Whether I get paid for it or not, will I write? I've started writing a book and trying all these things. I think that's what it is, just experimenting with a lot of different things and seeing what sticks, what resonates with me, what leads to something in the relationships it connects me to. And being open to experiment for a while to see where it goes and to not be too much of a pusher. I'm so used to driving to a goal. And I don't think that's what this next chapter is going to be. I think it's going to come to me in its time. And that in and of itself is a very foreign place for me to live. But I'm hoping I can do it. I'm I'm hoping I have the courage to be patient and let the mud settle into a life. And, and in the meantime, just be of use to the people who need me, like Joan and and Gotham and my, my family and friends to finally be accessible. Because that's the other thing, Mo, people didn't even call me because they knew it would go to voicemail. They would just text and say, call me when you can. And now I'm trying to reestablish all these relationships with people saying, I'm accessible. You can call me when you need it. I've got to suggest to everyone I have a relationship with that I'm finally accessible to them when it's the time for them as opposed to when it's convenient for me. So that was kind of heartbreaking to realize that was true, but it was true. I want to be a different you without being too pushing at it, just being and seeing where it goes, trying and experimenting and being available. One of the things that
0: surprises me a lot still is how much we know as human beings and how much information is available to us. But how rare it is to meet somebody who knows themselves or who is trying to discover who they are on a deeper level, but to be able to accurately self-reflect, which I think is a great measurement for mental health. And I, I love that you just said that sometimes that is hard. It's humbling. And so I think it's wonderful that you're in that place where you can self-reflect in that way.
1: It's so tempting. My pride is high. When you ask the question, what are you going to do? is to rattle off something that sounds good and decisive as opposed to admitting, I don't know, I've got I've to try some different things and, until it calls my attention to it, until I do find it. I've got to search. That's a weird conversation to have in our modern world.
0: Yeah, it is. Thank you for adding that, that you were trying to think of something on the fly to maybe sound impressive or important when really... It's okay to say, I'm not sure, because when we're most vulnerable, we have our greatest opportunity for growth and change. Yeah. I struggle with that too. And I'm sure it's not unique to us, but I'm in the last stretch of the formidable years of parenting. And I'm trying to carve out this new career for myself. New in the sense that I'm getting back to some of the old passions that I have. So, it's a daily struggle. I have to really be patient. It's a really great reminder. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're not alone. (laughs) Well, I think you're proof positive, Judy, that if you're willing to be vulnerable and find the courage to take those leaps of faith, you can become the best
1: version of yourself. Yeah. And like you say, persevere. Just the idea of perseverance and endurance is not... A plotting thing. It really is an aspect of courage. I didn't say that when you started with my definition, but I think in anything you've got to do for a long time in a very sustained way while dealing with all the roller coasters of life, just to persevere, wake up every day and say, I'm going to try again. I have to keep remembering that and surrounding myself with people that live like that.
0: Yes, that's so important. And I think it's also important to remember to just be curious. Being curious is the path that will lead me to finding my purpose.
1: I hope anyway. (laughs) I agree. And the rest is just like you say, the patience and perseverance to hang in there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, now that we've solved all the problems in the world. Yes, you too, sister. Thanks again, Judy, for being here today and for having the courage to share so many personal details about your life and your marriage. Absolutely. I know it's going to help a lot of people. And if anyone wants to talk more after the show, please pop over to the comments section at biteofcourage.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, be daring, and take a bite of courage. See you next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Bite of Courage. If you'd like to learn more about my guests, or you'd like to leave a comment, please go to biteofcourage.com or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to check out my blog, humormewithmo.com, where I write about finding humor in life's absurdities. Until next time, be bold, be brave, be daring, and take a bite of courage. This is a Trio production, all rights reserved.